Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, and I am delighted to be back with you this morning. What a day yesterday. I think I pulled into the driveway at 11.05 last night, but the Lord blessed with safe travels and a very good meeting. So thank you for your prayers. It was a long day. It's been a long few days. My body still thinks it's around 1 a.m., uh, or excuse me, not 1 a.m., what would it be? It would be 1 p.m. right now. But nevertheless, um, it is wonderful to be with you all, especially as we continue on in our study on the gospel according to John. Yesterday, we found ourselves in John chapter 12, at the beginning portion, um, where Jesus is anointed by Mary. We talked about some of uh, the, how do I say this? Some of the supposed problems with God's word, where folks look at this and other passages and say, aha, there you have it. There's the contradiction. The Bible obviously contradicts itself, or they say, obviously, the Bible must have been written by multiple, multiple groups. This wasn't really written by the Apostle John. However, we talked about those things, and we also talked about this wonderful act of devotion that we see from Mary, and also this act of treachery that we saw from Judas. You see, Judas was with Jesus, but did not know Jesus. Um, we see that present in what he did. It goes back to the old, uh, the old reality that we face. We can talk all day long about the things that we believe, but what you do is what you believe. Whether you will recognize that, whether you will admit it or not, what you do is the manifestation of your real belief. And we see here that Judas, or we saw yesterday, that Judas was an absolute scoundrel. That's all he is. He spoke of very spiritual things. Don't get me wrong. Oh, this money, this, this perfume that was used on you, Lord, it could have been sold, and we could have used the money to buy food for the poor. We know from the text that Judas held the money bag and helped himself to it whenever he wanted. So you can put in parenthesis, we could have sold this perfume and I could have had the money, right? Nevertheless, it just goes to show you that not everyone who talks spiritually um, and is spiritual all the time uh, actually knows the Lord. Just throwing that out there. Make sure that you are a Mary who is devoted to the Lord and not a Judas who simply used the Lord for whatever he wanted. Now, that's enough of going over what we covered yesterday. This morning, we are going to pick up in John 12, 9, um, with the aftermath of this, but also with another word about the Pharisees, and then we'll move on to the triumphal entry. What a beautiful, glorious time for our Lord, for his people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray for your blessings in it. Guide us as we go to your word, as it was yesterday. Help us to see how your word applies to our lives. Yesterday, we saw that we're called to be like Mary, not like Judas. That we're called to adore you. That we're called to devote ourselves to you. Because you alone are worthy of our adoration and devotion. Nothing else in this world can match up to you. And yet, Father, often enough, we are like Judas, where we know the right things to say, but our motives are not pure. So please, let us be captive to your word. 
by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and guide us today as we continue in our time. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 12, we left off yesterday at verse 8, but we're picking up today in verse 9. So this is the aftermath of the anointing at Bethany there. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Time out for just a second, just pausing. If you think that the world has changed that much in 2,000 years, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But y'all, people are still people. One of the grand mistakes we make when we interpret God's word is that we have a haughty viewpoint of ourselves. We view ourselves as so far advanced beyond the people of this day. Um, however, y'all, if somebody was raised from the dead uh, in your vicinity, you would want to see them. How do I know this? Well, because yesterday I drove around 800 or so miles on the interstate. Didn't pass that many accidents by God's grace. However, y'all know how the world works. When somebody gets it, and Interstate 81 is right out here. But anyway, a couple of miles out there. But um, nevertheless, y'all know how the world works. When, when something happens, everybody wants to see, right? They call it rubbernecking for a reason, because it's like people's necks are made out of rubber. They want to see that thing which has happened. That's what's going on here. By the time Jesus does this, uh, just before Passover, people have heard that he has raised a man from the dead. And so people want to be there. They want to see what is going on. Verse 10, so <clears throat> the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Do you get what's going on here, y'all? The paradigm or a paradigm is revealed about the chief priest about the ruling class of the Jews. You know, when Jesus called them a murderer, because they're simply doing the will of their father, who was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus wasn't being mean. Jesus wasn't exaggerating. These people were murderers, and they operated at a level of pragmatism that took them to places that previously, I'm sure they would have never imagined they'd go, but they operated at a level of pragmatism that would lead them to outright disobey God's word. They were so focused on their own plans, on their own intentions, on their own goals, and they embraced it. You know what pragmatism is? Pragmatism is the idea that the end justifies the means. In other words, if you're trying to accomplish something, what you're trying to accomplish is most important. But you can do whatever you want to do in order to make this thing happen. Even if it's wrong. Even if it's wicked. You see, previously we saw from the Jewish ruling class that they wanted to kill Jesus. They knew he had to go. But now it's not only Jesus. It's those that are closest to him. So we find out that, hey, they're coming to see Lazarus. Lazarus has got to go too. And we find out why. Verse 10, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Verse 11, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. You know, there are two things that are observable here. Number one, the power of testimony. You know, we look at Lazarus and we say, oh, Lazarus is different. Lazarus is different. Indeed, he is. Physically, the Lord raised him from the dead. 
However, his testimony is no different than yours and mine. What does the scripture say about us? Ephesians 2, right? Book of But we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We have no hope. We're lost, hopelessly lost. We can do nothing. And yet in Jesus Christ, he's made us alive. You know, our level of excitement should be the same as Lazarus' level of excitement. And it should be just as apparent to the world around us that we were dead and are now alive as it was concerning Lazarus. All of that comes down to devotion, you see. It comes down to loving the Lord. So that's the first thing that's evident here. The second thing that is evident here, and I had a conversation with a very good friend about this yesterday. There's always a cost to following the Lord. He and I went back and forth and we talked about it. And, and I said, man, you're right. There is always a cost to following the Lord. If you were to turn back to Mark chapter 8, which we won't do right now. But if you turn back to Mark chapter 8, you find, and, and it's elsewhere too. But in Mark chapter 8, Jesus makes that turn at Caesarea Philippi, where he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And he says to his disciples, who do people say I am? And then they tell him one of the prophets, you know, all these things. And he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, but then Jesus went on to talk about their rights as his followers. And you know what their rights were? Their rights are the same as yours and mine. Practically speaking, in this life, our right is to take up our cross and die daily. To be a follower of Christ means to really follow him. It means to lay down your life. Now, admittedly, most of the time that does not mean a physical laying down of life, right? It does for many Christians. <clears throat> One of the things that was just so amazing about my trip last week, and I wrote about it for our church newsletter, was the fact that so many believers are in harm's way. We, we had lunch one day with a pastor at an Indian church, and he talked about radical Hindus coming in and beating people to death if they found out where they worshipped. We talked to, to, to men from Uganda. Um, we talked to men from other areas that are under intense persecution. And yet, they keep on going. Why? Well, because they recognize what's going on here with Lazarus, that being a follower of Christ is expensive. That in fact, being a real follower of Christ means forfeiting everything you have. But it was Jim Elliott, Isabella, um, our daughter is reading through the gates of splendor right now. It's that book that Elizabeth Elliott wrote about her husband, Jim. Jim was martyred for the faith, killed for the faith as a missionary, but he had a wonderful quote, and I don't want to mess it up. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Did you hear that? He is no fool who gives or forfeits that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. My friends, that's salvation. To follow Jesus Christ, you must give your life. You must take up your cross and die daily. Sometimes that means physically. Most of the time it means sacrificing your want and your will for God's will. Because his will is best and he loves you. Even so, it means forfeiting what you have. But as Jim Elliott says, this life that we have, we can't keep it anyway. We have no control. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be wise with the decisions that we make. 
not saying any of that, but y'all ultimately, none of us knows what today holds. Yesterday, those traffic accidents that I talked about on the interstate, none of those people woke up that morning and said, hmm, let's see, it looks like it's gonna be a high of 65 today. Looks like a good day for me to crash into a guardrail or rear end somebody. Nobody does that. Y'all, life takes off on you. You ought to know that by now. This life that we have is not really ours. God has entrusted it to us, but we can't keep it. We don't know what the future holds, but he's no fool. You're not a fool if you give your life, which you can't keep, for salvation, which you can't lose. Eternity with Christ. That's what this encounter points us to. There was a cost in being Lazarus, but the cost was worth it. Why? Well, because of who Jesus is. That's why. And the next portion of John 12 points to who he is. <clears throat> Verse 12, it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. And it's written in Zechariah 9. In verse 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. Um, and that they had done these things to him. Now, I'm going to stop right here because tomorrow we're going to unpack this. And I know it's only 14 minutes in, but going back to this calling that we have, going back to this Lord that we serve, there's all sorts of things about the triumphal entry. We'll talk about Rome and how does it, that's for tomorrow. For today, as we close, Number one, do you realize who Jesus really is? That he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he is the only means of salvation. Do you realize that? And number two, will you live in light of that, offering yourself in service to the King? That's how that works, you know. And far too often, we think that the king works for us. We take the American ideal of, uh, well, they were voted into office and they're supposed to do their job. They're supposed to represent me and they're not doing their job. Well, throw the bum out. It's not how kings work, y'all. Mm -mm. We are called to be loyal subjects of the king. Thankfully, our king is righteous. Our king is good. And many of those who shouted out to him did not understand who he was. Some of those that shouted... Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, which is what that means. I'm sure some of them would turn right around and shout, crucify him in just a few days' time. Nevertheless, today, right now, do you realize who Jesus is? Do you realize what his calling for you is? Put simply, it's to obey him and leave the consequences to him. It's to love him and follow him by following his word. It's to trust in him, realizing that as he made Lazarus rise from the dead, so if you're trusting in him, so has he done with you. And if you know you don't know him, 
Jesus will do this for you as well, and you'll never be the same. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you for Lazarus. We thank you for the cost of discipleship that is revealed in him. That following you means leaving ourselves behind. In this world that glorifies self-actualization and all these different terms that just give us the warm fuzzies, help us to realize how bankrupt that philosophy is, how empty it is. Instead, let us see the marvelous opportunity you give us to trust in you, to follow you. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time and hanging in there with me. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Until then, I hope that you have a fantastic Tuesday. I see Brother Kyle. He was there with me in the meeting yesterday. We were sitting side by side there. And uh, I say brother because he is my brother. I love him. So thank you for being here, Kyle. There's Monica and Alice and Becky. And there's the other Becky and Rose. And then I see uh, Mary Ann and Colin. Good morning, Colin. I don't think that we know one another. But nevertheless, thank you for being here. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Until then, have a fantastic day.